Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Question, what do Moses, David, and Paul, Saul, Paul, what do Moses, David, and Saul, Paul all have in common? Anybody know? Yep. They were murderers, okay? They were murderers. I don't know why Eric was looking at my notes ahead of time. I don't know how he hacked into my, uh, my, uh, my uh, computer and got this. But, yeah, isn't that interesting? This actually hit me in the middle of the night the other night. I, it, you know, I, the sermons just go on in my mind and heart. Like, it'll start today at 1230. I'm already prepping for next week. That's how it goes. Sometimes people say, well, remember when you preach? No, I, pr- I probably don't remember because I'm just on to the, the next one. But it hit me all of a sudden. I'm thinking, because you want to have an, uh, I wanted to have an opening. Well, what do Moses, David, and Paul all have in common? Now, these were three great men of God, friends of God. Well, Moses was a murderer. He killed a man with his own hands. David was a murderer in that he premeditated the murder of someone for his own gain. Paul oversaw the murder of Christians. He was overseeing the the murder of Stephen. When I preached the last time we talked about that, he was holding their coats. And then he was going and making murderous threats. He was going into people's homes, which we're going to look at today, having them bound and imprisoned, and maybe that led to death. They were all murderers. And that really gets us to the point that I want to make is that your past can't stop you from what God wants to accomplish in your life today. Your past can't stop you from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish in your life today. God used them all. Now listen, I'm not telling you to go murder someone and that's going to be okay. Sit back down, sit down. Don't get up now thinking of, we're not saying that. We're saying that we all have a past We all have things that we've done wrong. We all have regrets. But that doesn't mean we have to live in the past because God has a purpose for you today. And through Jesus Christ, he can establish a new destiny for you. Some of our past includes what we've done ourselves. And some of our past includes what others have done to us. It doesn't matter. God can take that past, redeem that past, set you on a new road, with a new destiny and a new purpose for what he wants to accomplish in your life today. That's good news. As we continue to look at the life of Saul Paul, we know this from the last time that he oversaw the death of Stephen. Now we're going to look at his salvation experience and his initial days of serving Christ. And we're going to focus mostly in uh, uh, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'm just going to walk through and highlight some points here this morning. Acts chapter 9. Read Acts. Read it. It's awesome. What God has has done and the parallels to today. uh, We're kind of, I'm not walking through it because I don't have that much time, but we're, we're running through the book of Acts and I hope that that word that we've been using and the reason for the, we, the song today and, and all that we've been talking about, unstoppable, 
Hope that gets in your heart. The church is unstoppable. The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Okay? So here's what's going on. Good things are happening. Uh, when Stephen dies and Philip and the Ethiopian, and I don't have time to get into all that, but good things were happening in the early church. But verse, chapter 9, verse 1 picks up with, Meanwhile, while all this was happening, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples meaning I will kill you for serving Jesus, breathing out murderous threats. So he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He was willing to take parents away from their children just for following Jesus. Wow. Okay, I want to paint a terrible picture of Saul so you can see the great grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? So he was willing to separate parents from children. He was willing to take men or women and take them to prisoner. He had them bound and imprisoned, and some no doubt would face death. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now it says this light from heaven. He says later in about Acts chapter 26 as he's recounting this story, this light was brighter than the noonday sun. So imagine when we get out of church today uh, looking up into the noonday sun and what that would do. He says this light was even brighter than that. Now light in the Old Testament which Paul knew inside and out. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament scriptures like no one else. That's what made him such a great theologian for Jesus. He knew that light and this type of light, this supernatural light, represented the presence of God. Remember when God was leading the nation of Israel with a cloud? Light, that God would appear as light, the Shekinah glory of God. Paul knew that something was happening here, that it was a divine manifestation of the presence of God. He knew it wasn't something natural. He knew it was something supernatural here. And so what was his response to this light? He fell on the ground. Humility. He humbled himself. Now, Paul was anything but humble at this point in his life, Saul Paul. Anything but humble. Okay? He thought he was right and everyone was wrong. And he was going to make people pay for disagreeing with him. Okay? But he fell to the ground because he knew something supernatural was happening. Then he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is interesting. In the Old Testament, when God would speak to people, he called them twice. Okay? Saul knew this. When God called Abraham, he said, Abraham, Abraham, Genesis 22, 11. Jacob, Jacob in Genesis 46, 2. Moses, Moses in Exodus 3, 4. This repetition of his name, Saul, Saul, would make Paul understand and realize that this was not just an ordinary man that was speaking, that the presence of God was there and that he was hearing the voice of God and he was in a sense being called just like Abraham, just like Jacob, just like Moses, Something powerful was taking place here. And then the voice says, why do you persecute me? See, it wasn't just the people that Paul was persecuting. In actuality, it was Jesus that, they were, that he was persecuting. See? So verse 5 goes on. 
Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. And Jesus says this, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. I am Jesus, a divine manifestation of God's presence and God's voice, whom you are persecuting. Now, Jesus told the apostles, told the disciples at the time, they would be hated. John 15, 18 through 21 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. You know there's a real hatred towards Jesus, right? Why is it Jesus' name that's used as a curse word? To me, that proves he is who he says he is. (laughs) There's a hatred towards Jesus. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus was establishing himself as God. Why are you persecuting God? Here's Paul on the ground. He didn't know what was going on. But God was working and doing something in his life. Now, some older translations, King James Version, uh, New King James Version, they use this term, kicking against the goads. Have you heard that? That's kind of how I grew up remembering it. The modern translations don't include that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And if that really troubles your heart and you need to know the answer, you can see Joe Burrell right after the service. He has all the answers on all the big stuff, all the big stuff, important stuff that I don't know, he knows. So go see Joe, and he will tell you why the modern translations don't have it. But the older translations have it, kicking against the goads. I never even knew what that meant. I mean, I heard this when I was a kid. What's a goad? I didn't know what it was. Well, a goad is a prod. Do you know what a goad? Well, I told you. Never mind. Some of you weren't listening. Anyhow, I could ask you all over again. It wouldn't matter. A goad was a prod. It was an eight-foot prod with points at the end. And that would direct the oxen in the direction they wanted them to go. Obviously, in physical strength, the farmer couldn't move the oxen. He used a prod to get the oxen to move in the direction that he wanted him to go. All of a sudden, I realized... That's what God had been doing in Saul Paul's life long before the road to Damascus. He was goading him in a certain direction. He was prodding him in a certain direction. And watch this. Saul Paul was so angry because he was resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Do you have friends and family that are so angry at God and so angry at Jesus? You know, sometimes that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is actually working in their lives and it's making them angrier and angrier. So what were some of the prods that God was using in Saul Paul's life before the road to Damascus? One of the prods was he was in the crowd that couldn't stand up to Stephen's wisdom. Remember it says Stephen had wisdom and they didn't know what to say. That was a prod towards Jesus towards Jesus. Uh, One was the Holy Spirit driving him 
to the truth of the gospel. The arguments of Stephen were a prod. Stephen's final speech and the way he died, he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and said, don't hold this sin against them. The way he died was a prod. See, God was working in Saul Paul's life before Damascus. The spread of the gospel and the response to the believers that why can't we stop this movement? Why can't we stop the way? Why are thousands of people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior because Jesus was alive? That was a prod. It was a prod, a prod. The miracles, the undeniable miracles that had been performed right in front of their own eyes was a prod moving in the right direction. And Paul, in resisting all of this, was hurting himself, and he turned this resistance into resentment and anger till it became murderous, see? But God was working all along. Listen, in all of our lives, even before we came to know Jesus, God was prodding us because he would that none should perish. He was doing everything in his power through the power of the Holy Spirit to prod you, to guide you, to direct you towards his son, Jesus Christ. And can I encourage you with something? If you have unsaved loved ones, God's doing the same in their lives. Let God do his work in their lives because only the Holy Spirit can do it. You, oh, I almost said ain't, but I'm gonna say it anyhow. You ain't the Holy Spirit, okay? Live your life. Let your light shine, be salt, be light, and let the Holy Spirit do his work because he is prodding and leading them. He is responding to your prayers for your unsaved loved ones. And sometimes things happen in their lives that's prodding them towards Jesus and sometimes they respond so negatively towards it because they're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. Their anger towards you is actually anger towards Jesus. You get that, right? The hard part is sometimes it's family and friends. That's what's so hard. But their anger towards you is their anger towards Jesus, okay, if you're serving and following him. So I want you to see that it wasn't just the road to Damascus, that God had been working in his life leading him to this point, and then he was going to show him his presence. See, Paul's past was transformed by the prodding and the presence of Almighty God. See, our past can't stop God's plan for our lives today. Because God is prodding us. He's working in our hearts and in our lives to move us in the direction he wants us to go. That's to Jesus, and that's also after Jesus. He's working in our hearts and lives. Okay, so now Jesus speaks to Saul Paul, who was laying on the ground. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, don't skip that. Because Paul was not a man that liked to be told what to do. He liked to tell others what to do, right? This was an angry, violent man that liked to be in charge and be in control. He didn't like others telling him what to do. But now he encountered the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. He fell on his face in humility. And when God said, get up and go to the city, 
uh, he went. We call it the blind obedience to the known will of God. The men traveling with Saul, verse 7, stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. Again, this emphasis on the blind obedience to the known will of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. By Paul blindly being obedient to the known will of God, it showed a transformation had taken place in his heart because now he was obeying the commands of Jesus. You want to show Jesus how you love him? Obey him. See? Talk isn't enough. Obey the known will of God. Okay? Let's talk straight. Christians will say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I would say, uh, you probably do, you just don't want to do it. Right? You know what God wants you to do. For the things that we don't know what to do, we trust the shepherd and he leads us. But most of our lives is more about, we just don't want to do what God tells us to do. Because we have a rebellious spirit, because we think our way is better, because we're afraid of the unknown that's a lot of it. We don't want to serve and follow God because we, we, we'd rather, this is a terrible analogy, but I don't have time to process it here in, in these split seconds in my head. We'd rather, you know, stay with the devil that we know instead of obey Jesus and we're not sure what's going to happen. See? People do that all the time. And the longer they stay with the devil they know, the worse things get. And they think, where is God? God hasn't moved. You've moved further away from God. God never moved. Okay? Thankfully, he still pursues us. Even when others would have given up on us a long time ago, aren't you thankful God didn't give up on you? I am. I am. And he still hasn't given up on you. Okay? So, but if you want to make a difference in your life, be obedient to the known will of God, and God will fill in the gaps for what you don't know. Okay? What you don't know, he will lead you in those areas. So get up and go. So he got up off the ground and he went. Something happened on this road to Damascus. Paul was transformed. So verse 9 of chapter 9. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. Now I love this next part in verses 10 through 14. So in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. Not the one that was killed in church. He dead. Okay, he dead, he stayed dead. And his wife. Okay. The Lord called to this Ananias and said to him in a vision, Ananias, and Ananias, who had a relationship with the Lord, said, Yes, Lord. The Lord told him this, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. You see the details in that? Go to Randy's house at, on Dutch Mill, and there's a guy there praying, and and uh, go, details. In, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So watch. We have Ananias here, God speaking to him. We have Saul Paul here, God speaking to him. And in the middle is God. Okay? They're, they're both God. And now he's about to lead them together. From different directions, lead them together. Verse 13. Lord... If I may, I'm going to add a little bit to this. Lord, if I may, have you, have you heard any of the reports about this Saul fellow? 
Have you seen the news, read the papers, gotten online at all? Have you Googled his name at all and seen all of the stuff that he's done? I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Are you sure about this, Lord? And he's come here with the, the authority from the chief priest to arrest, arrest all that uh, call upon your name. Wait, wait, what, what do you want me to do? And are you sure? But the Lord said to Ananias, if you're following with me in verse 15, after the comma, what's the first word? Go. And what's the, uh, what's an exclamation point? Grammatically, what's an exclamation point? An emphasis, a what? Imperative. I never even heard that word before. Any other questions? Go to Joe about theology. And Heidi probably more theology than I know too. So just see them after the service and ask them these deep questions of why and just spend some time uh, with them. Yeah, an imperative. Uh, it was an exclamation point. God was saying, I know, just Go. Wow. Have you ever had this conversation with God where you say, but God, but God, and, and don't, don't you, but, but God, and God just says, in Italian, he said, stata zit. Anybody get that? Yeah. What's that mean in Italian? Yeah. <laughs> just go. Let's go. Let me touch on this a little bit too, if, if I may. Ananias, it's not your business. Paul's not your business. Your only business is your business. What I do with Paul is my concern, not yours. The only thing I'm asking you to do is go and be obedient. Do you know, can I just tell you what makes life really hard and harder than it already is? Is to make someone else's business your business. Okay, in the brief time we have together, can I just say it like this? Don't you have enough problems of your own? That you have to take on other people's problems too? Just take care of your own business. And let God take care of their business, okay? Because it's between them and God and so on and so forth. I get people sometimes, they're, ex oh, I'm so exhausted. I, you know, and this, I'm so worried and I'm so concerned and this, and it's all about somebody else's problem. Take care of your business. That's your responsibility, not their business. That's their responsibility. Okay, all God's people said, and if you don't have enough problems of your own, then, well, good for you. You're alone in that because the rest of us got a lot going on. All right. He says, just go. This man is my chosen instrument. Proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. You take care of your business. I'll take care of mine. Verse 16. I love this. How about this altar call? And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. I want to call you all forward and tell you how much you're going to suffer. Come accept Jesus and you'll be beaten three times almost to death with a rod. 
Come and serve Jesus and you'll be shipwrecked, not sure whether you're going to live or die, and then you're going to be bit by a snake. Come and serve Jesus and you're going to be stoned. Come and serve Jesus and people are going to talk bad about you. Come and serve Jesus and you're going to have to escape from a hole in the wall. Which I I didn't get to this. Real quick, watch. I'm not going to get to it today. If you keep reading in Acts chapter 9, Paul gets saved. Okay, you know the end of the story already. He gets saved. He goes and preaches to the Hellenistic Jews and what do they want to do? Kill him. Goes back to Jerusalem, preach. What do they want to do? Kill him. So here's the altar call today. I want you to come forward, receive Jesus, and then people will try to kill you if you want to be my disciple. Who's your favorite pastor? (laughs) That was his cross, not ours. But what's yours? What's yours? What's God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do? to let it go. Then Ananias, again, not the dead one, went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, verse 17. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately. That's a great word. Uh, Garrett preached that last week suddenly immediately, suddenly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. When he could see, he was blind. When he was blind, that's when he could finally see. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. After eating some pizza, little spaghetti and meatballs, garlic bread on the side, cannolis for dessert. That's what it says in my translation. I don't know. He regained his strength. He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. What a testimony of God's presence, of God's power, and of God's grace. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, your story might not be the same as Saul in that you were a murderer, a literal murderer. But Jesus said if you're angry and you hate someone, then you're a murderer too. All of us were wretches until Jesus came into our lives. All of us were blind, but now we can see. Christians, don't forget the grace of God. You didn't deserve it then, you don't deserve it now, it's still grace. Grace, grace, wonderful grace. Paul described himself as the chief of all sinners. Now turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. 
I want you to see this because this is so powerful in light of everything that we've just talked about today. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, more than we could ask or more than we could imagine. How much grace did you need? You needed abundant grace. My past was from the sanctuary and not from the streets. My sins were pride and not addiction. But my sins were the same that kept me away from God. I needed as a church kid the abundant grace of God because I was blind and thought I could see. You don't have to be from the streets to receive the abundant grace of God. Listen, if you are, came from the lowest place imaginable, boy, his grace is abundant. If you came from the sanctuary and our church kid, he gives you his grace abundantly, more than we could ask or more than we could imagine, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's Saul Paul. That's after he planted churches. That's after he's now writing scripture. That's after he raised someone from the dead. Love that story. Dude preached so long, a little kid or a kid fell out of the window and died. So Paul went down, he stopped preaching, he said, Stop the video. He went down, prayed for him, rose back from, and then preached the rest of the night. And all God's people said, I thought you were gonna say, Oh, don't do that today, Pastor. Don't do that today. After all of that had happened, he says, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's but it's for that very reason that I am the worst of all sinners. And I'm going to put myself in there. That I was the worst of all sinners because I thought I could see, but I was blind. Me. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. See, the prodding is a representation of his patience. He keeps prodding because he's patient, because he would that none should perish. That he might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And he ends this, I mean, how else could you end it? Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We all have a past that we'd like to forget. Do you know that when you ask for forgiveness, God forgives your sins and he forgets them? The only ones that remember them are friends and family. The only ones that remind you of your sins are the devil and your friends and family who sometimes are working for the devil. If they're reminding you of that. If you're in a situation where you constantly rehearse the mistakes you made 
or the things that have been done to you through no fault of your own. I want to introduce you to Jesus who gives you grace abundantly. That you don't have to live in the past. He has something for you today. He has a purpose and a future for you today. He could take murderers and make them into saints. He can take you and give you purpose and a plan for your life. See, our past cannot stop God's plan for our lives. Now, you're not Saul Paul. I'm not Saul Paul. I'm me and you're you. You don't have to be Saul Paul. You just have to be you. And God wants to use you, all of you, all of your flaws, all of your faults, all of your regrets. He wants to use you and who you are to accomplish his purpose in your life. He has a wonderful plan for your life and your past cannot stop it. Through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, your purpose, your purpose, you, is unstoppable. Unstoppable because of his amazing grace. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.